Good morning. <laughs> My name is Terrence Green, and I have the honor of reading the scripture for today's message. Uh, if you look at the screens to your right and left, you can find it. It's Psalm 29, and it reads as follows. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The vo voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people and may the Lord bless his people with peace. Amen. Terrence. Jews and Christians have believed for centuries that the God of the Bible isn't just real, but he's personal. He doesn't just exist, but he, he acts into the world. And perhaps the most unique aspect of this biblical God who acts is what Psalm 29 shows us, that the biblical God, this God, speaks. He speaks. He has a voice this psalm says he, he has spoken, he continues to speak, his voice shapes human history. This says it isn't limited to one, just one nation, but it's for the whole world. It's beautiful, it's lovely, it's awesome. It's not just for kings in palaces, it's for commoners in provinces. And God's voice, as this psalm says, and I hope we'll see, God's voice can be the difference maker in our lives, but only if we have it and to the degree which we experience it. So let's take a look at one of the most incredible things uh, that the Bible says that this God does, that this God speaks. Let's look at Psalm 29 and what it says about the voice of the Lord. We'll see three things today. First, what it is. Second, what it does. And finally, how we can experience it. So let's begin and just ask, what is God's voice? What does the Bible say it is? And to answer that, let's begin with the first and really the most surprising thing that Psalm 29 says, the very first thing above everything else that this Psalm says God's voice is, is look in verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the Lord over many waters. Now, out of all the things that this could have said, right? I mean, out of all the ways the Bible could have given us to describe God's voice. Out of all the things that King David, the writer of the psalm, a man after God's own heart, could have drawn our attention to first to describe God's voice. He says, God's voice is over the waters. That doesn't sound very interesting, right? I mean, I would have thought that he would have said something like, God's voice sounds like James Earl Jones. You know, or, 
maybe in our friend Terrence Green, right? God's voice is a nice deep bass with some earthy tones in there for effect. But this doesn't say that. This says God's voice doesn't sound like something. This says God's voice is somewhere. And where is it? It says over. Over, over, yeah, over, uh, above. Some translations say beyond, on top of, and they're, they're all ways of making the claim, and you'll pardon the phrase here, that God's voice trumps every other voice. It's above every voice, no endorsement, above every voice, <laughs> above every voice, it's beyond every voice, it's over every voice, and do you know what? I'd like to make the case that you and I need it to be this way. You need a voice. We need a voice that's over, above, beyond us. And why is this? Well, consider, consider how many voices that we have speaking to us today, how many voices we have not above us, but around us, right? I mean, take a drive down the highway. It's like driving through alphabet soup, right? Sign after sign, and I'm all for signs. We've got one. Uh, there are voices, there are words everywhere on signs, or, or go online, right? Uh, and click on any article, which is itself another voice. And what happens? You get like a pop-up voice trying to talk to you as well. You click on that, another voice, another pop-up voice. Or uh, I recently took my boys to a professional baseball game, a field that we haven't been to in a while, and now on the foul poles when I came back. Now there are voices speaking to me, and these, on the foul poles, you know, the bright yellow things in the corners of the outfield, and uh, the foul poles had voices telling me to eat more chicken, eat more chicken, and get it to foul pole. All right, there's the all right took you a minute. That's why I'm here. Right. Now, I love, I love Chick-fil-A. I love my spicy Christian chicken, right? As much as the next person, which judging by the drive through line this last Friday was most of y'all. All right. But I saw those and I thought, well, there's another voice, right? Another voice around me, but we don't just have an explosion of voices outside us or around us. In today's culture, you know this, we have an explosion of a desire to hear our own voice. There's a massive uptick, you know this again, in our des- own desire to hear our own voice. And the great Roman Catholic theologian, Jim Gaffigan, I know that name, one of his recent comedy specials, he noticed the same thing, and he turns a mirror on how much we really love to look at and listen to ourselves, and here's his take on everything from Jim selfies, you know who you are, to social media junkies. And if, as any of you can attest who have actually heard him do his bit, this next quote will go better for you. If you can imagine it's being said in his voice and not mine. So anyway, he says, our modern culture says this. He says, I want to look at myself while I work on myself. I should do a recording so I can listen to myself while I look at myself while I work on myself. As I leaf through myself magazine, reading how myself can improve myself. Maybe I'll look at my Facebook page, look at photos of myself, read what myself has written about myself. And he's funny. He's got a point. What Psalm 29 says is that God's voice isn't just another voice around you. It's not just your own voice inside you. It's a voice above you, beyond you, over you. And to get the power of the voice, which we'll look at in a minute, you first have to acknowledge the position 
of the voice. God's voice is saying, isn't to be given a Yelp rating alongside other voices? You don't rate it, it rates you, and you need that. Otherwise, you'll lose yourself in a sea of voices of self and culture. Now you may be saying, well, Morgan, this sounds like an exclusive truth claim. And do you know what? You're right. It is. And listen, if that makes you uncomfortable, this verse is even worse than that. And here's why. It's not just that it says the voice of God is over you or above you. No, the psalmist goes further and says the voice of God is over something. And what does it say? Over many waters. And again, for you and me, the modern reader, this sort of just washes over us and means next to nothing but to the ancient reader and especially to a reader or a hearer of this from another ancient culture, this was about as bold and exclusive and offensive a statement as could be claimed. Why? Well, the surrounding Canaanite cultures around Israel in that day, all those cultures, those Canaanite cultures, they had lots of gods. And in all of them, the strongest god, the most powerful god, the most revered god was the sea god. The sea god. Why? Because the sea was unpredictable, right? The, uh, the sea was untamable. The sea's winds blew. The sea storms raged. And you could sacrifice to that sea god all you wanted to beg him for a smooth sailing. But the sea god, unlike other ancient gods, couldn't be bribed. The sea god was frightful because the sea god was in the waters. But then the Old Testament comes along. And all the Hebrew writers, all the way back to Genesis 1, always noted that when God created the world, it says God used his voice to create and bring the world into being. And it says this voice hovered where? Over the water. Yeah, this was an intentional, on-purpose, smack down, throw the gauntlet down in your face the surrounding Canaanite cultures and faith systems. This is a way of saying our God, this God is the one true God above every God. He's not just in the waters, he's over the waters, above the waters. He's not limited by a boundary, not limited by a border. He doesn't need a passport to get into your nation. He doesn't need to fill out paperwork. He isn't in the waters, above them he is. And Psalm 29 goes so far as to say this God sat as king, it says, over the flood. The flood. It was the, the flood was the epitome of power, untamable, uncontrollable waters and power. And it says this God didn't just bring the flood into being. It to, he told it when to stop. His voice is over every other God. And you say, all right, I see that. But those modern, hey, you know, those old people, uh, we're modern today. Those ancient people were superstitious. We don't have, you know, individualized God's anymore in our nation. Well, you're right and wrong. We We don't have as much personalized, individualized gods anymore, but we do have personalized, individualized truths. Sounds like something like true for you, not for me. See, our culture says out with primitive deities and primitive gods, but in, right, with believing whatever you want. But nothing's really changed. Not so different from them, and here's why. Those ancient people said, hey, listen, Israel, David, Moses, y'all. Believe whatever God you want to in your country. Just don't say your God, your truth is greater than our little gods and our truth. Your God's cool as long as it doesn't cross the border and come over into our land. We, but we say today, same thing. Your God's cool as long as you don't bring him out of church. 
As long as you don't bring him out into the world, out in public. Those cultures had individualized deities outside themselves. We have individualized gods that are ourselves. But what do you do with the God of Psalm 29? What do you do with a God who says, I'm over all gods. I'm over all truth claims. What do you do with a God who says, my word, my voice are over, above, and beyond you? Well, if you understand it rightly, you'll do what David, the psalm writer, says, all will do who recognize the voice of the one true God. In verse 9, look what he says. He said, in his temple, all cry glory. Now, this word here, glory, literally means heavier than you. It's the Hebrew word for matter, as in weight and substance. And verse 9 is telling you, if you really know this God, you'll cry out, God, you matter. You weigh more than I do. Your word, your voice matters. It weighs more than my voice, my word. Your voice matters more than mine in any area. Let me ask you. I'll apply this in a few ways. Especially if you're single today, not married. When it comes, comes to your sexual ethics today, do you cry glory? God, your word matters more than mine. Or do we come into his temple crying convenience, right? pleasure? Right? How about you married people? Would you say that God's glory is in your marriage? If you can't, let me just suggest to you, it's because there's a louder voice than God's in your marriage. Maybe the voice of an in-law. <laughs> Maybe the voice of a boss. Maybe the voice of, a, uh, of television or media or culture or something. I don't know. Uh, how about, would you say that God's voice, all of us, God's voice, God's glory is in our closest relationships, right? With the people who know us best. Or is there always fighting, always positioning, always betrayal or breakdown? And if, if we can't say God's glory is in those relationships, let me just suggest to you, there's another person's voice that's louder than God's. Maybe the other person's, it might be. But most of the time in my own life, it's been mine. I've allowed to be louder than God's. Could we say, would we say, God's glory is in our nation? Don't answer that. If we can't, let me just suggest to you what Psalm 29 shows us. It's because there's voices louder than his have you cried? Could you cried? Oh, God, glory today. I want what you want. I'm open to whatever you want me to do. God, your will, not mine. I'll even join a small group. I'll be one of those 74 people in him, kids. Crazy stuff, right? Never know. If you can cry that, when you can cry that, let me tell you, now you're ready to hear God's voice. In other words, once you acknowledge the position of the voice, now you begin to access the power of the voice. And let me try to show you now what God's voice does, what it can bring into your life when it comes, when it comes into my life, your life, this church, this nation. Number two, what does Psalm 29 say that God's voice does? A number of things here. Can't get them all, but we'll try to do four. Let's look at them in turn. First, it says that God's voice, this is clear to see, easy to see. It says God's voice is 
powerful. And there's the scripture, the verse four, the voice of the Lord is powerful. And uh, on my, uh, my vacation this past week, I've been doing some reading on a group uh, of Christian leaders back in the first few centuries AD called the Desert Fathers. And maybe you've heard of them. And these were people, Christians who at the height of the corruption in Rome, two, 300 AD, they left society. They went out into the desert to form a counterculture to be able to hear God's voice more clearly and speak it back into the culture. And there's some really remarkable stories from their experiences, and this is one of them. One of the desert fathers, a man by the name of Abba Elias, or Father Elias, he told a story which went like this. Here's a story. He says, there was an old man living in a temple, and the demons came to him one day to say to him, leave this place which belongs to us. And the old man said to them, no place belongs to you. Then the demons began to scatter his belongings all around the temple and all around the room. And the old man went around gathering all his stuff back together. And a little later, the devil himself came, took his hand and began to drag him out the door. And when the old man reached the door, he seized the door frame with one hand and he cried out, Jesus, save me. And immediately the devil fled away. And the man began to weep. And the Lord, the voice of the Lord, came to him and spoke to him and asked, Why are you weeping? The old man said, Because the devils have dared to seize a man and treat him like this. But then the Lord said to him, Oh, you've been careless, my son. As soon as you turn to me again, you see I was beside you all along. Yeah. Now, whether that story really happened or whether it was just an illustration from old Father Elias. The point is this. It isn't our voice that drives out fear. It isn't our voice that pushes the demonic away. It's the voice of the Lord that does that. You say, but in the story, wasn't it the old man who spoke? But yeah, what did he speak? The name of Jesus. That's right, the name of Jesus. Jesus' name has power over whatever forces are coming your way. You're not impotent. Use it. Second, God's voice can break strongholds in our lives. It says the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, the cedars of Lebanon. And Lebanon here, you may know in the Bible, usually refers to a massive, a thick forest range on the border of Israel. And of course, you could go out, if and you wanted, and cut that whole forest down, right? Chop down every tree, but how long would it take you? Years, right? At least perhaps a lifetime. But this verse is saying that something that would normally take you a lifetime to do, God's voice can do and bring in a moment. It can instantly break that thing that's been holding you back. When I was a junior in college, uh, two or three years ago, I was really wrestling, wrestling with the power of rejection in my life. If you've ever wrestled through that and faced that, you know how debilitating that can be. And I was this uh, student, successful in, in, in my classroom, uh, college athlete, had lots going for me, or at least I thought. Always trying to be, though, the cool guy, loud guy, be the man, get noticed, an act out, it backfire on me, or what, also what rejection does, I'd talk myself down in front of people, right? I'd reject myself to beat others to the punch, now, fortunately, I had a pastor who didn't just notice this in my life, but he challenged me 
to grow out of it and work through it. And he knew I was about to go to this big college student conference uh, out in Tennessee where there would be this dynamic ministry environment. And he encouraged me to seek God and meet me there. And so uh, I, I did this crazy thing like uh, college students never do, which is to fast. I'd miss a meal. And that was really tough because at the time I was, I was working construction in Houston, Texas in the summer, out in the heat. And, uh, but I did it. And then I made the cross-country trip to Nashville. And about 10 minutes into the worship, just set foot in the room, began to open my heart to God. And it was like I was in some kind of movie with the special effect happening to me, just standing there, opening my heart to God. When the music faded, a presence came. And I heard God's voice say to me, down deep, where only he can talk to you. He said, before you were born, I accepted you. You cannot reject what I have accepted. No matter if you reject yourself, I will always love you. Yeah. Something broke on the inside. Tears began to flow on the outside. It was never the same again. What happened, though? See, God's voice broke into pieces that forest of rejection in my heart. That stronghold was broken. What stronghold are you fighting today? I don't know. What's the thing you can't let go of, get past? Let me press you to press into God. Open your heart to what he might say to you. Third, God's voice brings, this says, correction. Uh Uh-oh, verse 7, it says, The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Fire, you may know, in the Old Testament is a common metaphor for judgment on sin. And this verse is saying God's voice doesn't just bring encouragement. Oh, it doesn't just bring breakthrough, but it brings sometimes correction. And of course, this is tough because... We don't like it today. We can't stand the thing anybody's wrong about what they do, think, or say. But I hope you'll see there's a problem with that. Because if there's nothing ever wrong in your life, then nothing can ever get fixed. No relationship can ever be repaired if there's nothing broken. You say, well, okay, but this still doesn't sound very loving. Isn't God love, right? I mean, how can his voice flashing out fire and judgment be loving? Let me show you. A few years ago, my marriage was in a tough spot. Carrie and I were just uh, getting here in the middle of a tough season, transition season, and working a lot of hours, feeling a lot of pressure, wasn't handling it too well. Barely had the emotional strength to handle my job, let alone have time and energy for her. And over a long period of time, she begged and begged and pleaded with me. See, I was working too much, neglecting her. Things were going down. And of course, at first I tried the strategy every man tries, which is to politely ignore her, right? And when that didn't work, uh-oh, I just got real close to home, all right. Just ex- sorry, guy, just exposed you, all right. When that didn't work, we fought and we fought and we fought because she wouldn't let it go, thankfully. And I didn't want to hear anything from her. And then before things got better, they got worse, I got the flu. And let me tell you, she was thrilled to get to take care of me. One afternoon in bed, fall asleep, God comes, speaks to me. I saw God. All right, what did God look like? I saw a black silhouette set against flames of fire. God spoke to me. He said, you're killing your wife and kids. You won't get a second chance. Stop it. Yeah, and I woke up. Knew God had spoken to me. Started to go and try to make things right with Carrie. 
took a while for our heart to mend, but God was faithful to us, and here we are. And I'm sorry if that messes with your theology or what you think God does or doesn't do today, but it's my story, not yours. Thank you very much. I was there. Now you can say, well, Morgan, you, you, know, you, you, you had like a fever, right? Maybe you hallucinated it. Maybe. Maybe I did. In which case, I thank God for the very convenient and unusually timely hallucination which saved my marriage. Or if it really was, as I believe, God's voice bringing correction. That judgment was the most loving thing he could have done. Saved my life. And when that flash of fire comes to you, maybe today, it comes in love to save you as well. Fourth thing, God's voice, it says, gives, I love this, gives birth to things in our lives. Voice of the Lord, it says, makes the deer give birth. And again, let me ask you, what are you, what are you believing for today? Maybe you came in and you're needing, a, a believing for a miracle in your business, in your marriage, with your kids. Listen, it's God's voice, this is saying, that brings his future into your present. God's voice brings that new thing to pass. It brings the, the new life into being. It makes the deer give birth to her offspring. And whenever I'm facing a crisis, here's why you need this. Whenever I'm facing a, a, a crisis or a shortage, and in the middle of that crisis, if I look up and I find myself scared or worried or angry, I know it's usually because I've lost hope become hopeless. I think there's no way out. It's all going to end badly. It's all going to collapse. I can't see there's a future, something God's going to bring about. And then I draw near to God. I go to his word. I put my heart in his hands. And by the way, anything that's really from God, just as an aside here, anything that's really from God is never going to be in contradiction of his forever written word. How could it be? I mean, it would make God out to be a liar or a trickster or inconsistent, wiffly waffly. See, to say that God would approve of something he's expressly forbidden in his word or that he would forbid something that's expressly approved in his word would be to say God ceased to be who he is. That's why, for example, if you were to come to me and you say, Morgan, God told me it's okay for me to leave my husband or wife for another man or woman, I, I've changed and I've realized I should just be with someone else. And if you were to say that to me, here's what I would say to you. We don't have to pray about that. We don't have to seek the Lord about it, friend. I can just say to you, no, God did not say that. That's called adultery, right? There's like a commandment about that somewhere. And the point is, Anything God really says is never going to contradict his forever written word. And if it appears to do so, listen, just call, uh, pull a spiritual 911, call a trusted Christian leader. But when hope's lost, whenever a dream inside you is dying, here's what you need. You need God's voice to remind you. It's him who brings that thing to pass. He's the one who causes the deer to give birth, to bring the thing into existence you never could. He's the one who brings to pass what you never could. Oh, he's the one, uh, so this psalm is saying, who makes the deer to give birth. And we forget that, don't we? I forget that, you forget that. But Psalm 29 is encouraging us to remember what we forget. It's God's voice who brings our dreams to life, not us. So we need his voice, don't we? We need his voice 
so badly and you say, yeah, dude, this all sounds great. How do I get it? How do I experience it all? The psalm tells you. Let's look at that. Number three. How do we experience it? Let's go back to the beginning. The beginning of the psalm because this psalm, Psalm 29, it's amazing. It begins in a place that's unique in all the Bible. And even it begins in a strange place, I'd say. If you understand what's going on, where does it begin? Psalm 29 begins, if you can see it, not on earth at all. Not in America or Israel or Texas, but in heaven. Look what it says. It says, ascribe to the Lord... Oh, heavenly beings, maybe your, your Bible says mighty ones or sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And every commentator I could find says the same thing. Verse 1 here is talking about angels. Angels. This, this is calling angels in heaven to come near to the throne of God and give God what is due. This is saying, give God, tell God, oh, you angels, what you already know and can see about him. He's mighty, powerful, majestic, see, Verse 1, therefore, brings us up into heaven. Verse 3, which we started with, brings us down to earth. But where's the bridge? Where's the bridge? How do we connect? How do we release what's in heaven into our lives? The voice of God into the earth. Oh, what is it? Verse 2, right in the middle. It says, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. And here it is. Worship the Lord. In the splendor of holiness. So saying the key to bringing God's voice into your life, experiencing it for yourself, is worshiping Him in the beauty of holiness. Pause. Let me set the scene for you here. Here we have angels in heaven singing about what? God's holiness. Does it sound familiar? It should, because at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation gives us a similar picture of heaven and what the angels do. Revelation 4, 8 says, there are these angelic beings before God who day and night never stop crying out one line from one song, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You say, well, that kind of sounds like, you know, the original modern worship song, Morgan, one line over and over again forever, all right give you something to think about but here's the point revelation itself is just drawn from isaiah 6 where the prophet isaiah has this experience of god and that experience the voice of god comes and it begins with the thing that the angels can't quit singing about and the bible can't quit talking about which is the holiness of god because these angels here isaiah 6 revelation 4 they don't just say god is holy and that'd be amazing They don't just say, holy, holy. They say, holy, holy, holy. It's a praise form. Fill that in triplicate. What does it mean? Well, you may know that in a Semitic language, a word is doubled to convey its intensity. Uh, Multiple places in the Old Testament, it talks about pits, but they're not just pits. They're pit pits, like the pittiest, deepest pit somebody could fall into. Or there's not just gold. In the temple, there's gold, gold, it says, the purest gold. And all throughout the Bible, words in Hebrew get doubled, but there's only one word that's ever tripled, this word. God isn't just holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. 
It's the word kadosh in the Hebrew. It means sacred or set apart. His infinite beauty brilliants God's otherness from us. And that's what you get here from angels. These angels that are right near to God. They see him more clearly, more nearly than you do. They're constantly in his presence. They see him for exactly who he is. And the one thing they can't quit raving about isn't some meet the parents theology. You know, that part in the movie where Ben Stiller prays, oh God, we thank you. You're such a good and accommodating God. I love the satire. He's so accommodating. They don't say accommodating, accommodating, accommodating. They say holy, holy, holy. And that's what these angels are doing. They're worshiping God in the beauty of his holiness. And he may be saying, okay, I get that beauty is satisfying. But how is holiness beautiful? And that's the million dollar question. Because this thing, Psalm 29, 2, Revelation 4, Isaiah 6, it's a switch for most people. Jonathan Edwards, American theologian. He said the power of God. We like that. Man, all that stuff in point to God's voice is powerful. It breaks. It speaks. We love that, right? Because it's of benefit to us. We love God's wisdom, right? The wisdom of God, it helps us. We love the mercy of God. How many love the mercy of God? I love the mercy of God. It's such a benefit to me. Oh, But the holiness of God is of no apparent benefit to you. It's really a threat. Because it shows you, shows me, how wicked and evil and not like God we are. And yet the Bible says you got to worship God in that to get the power of his voice in your life. So how can we get to that place where we see a different kind of beauty? Well, I don't know how the psalm writer did. I don't know. But I know how you and I can. Because centuries after Psalm 29 was written, there was one who came over that bridge, over that cliff, over that waterfall from heaven to earth, one who had been worshipped, praised for an eternity. He was the one of whom the angels sang, and he came away from heaven's song, put on skin. And the Bible says he became the voice the word of God, the speech of God in a body. His voice, we see, it healed, right? His voice gave life. It brought back people from the grave. His voice flashed out flames of fire against evil and wickedness and inequity. His voice gave birth to hope in human hearts. But what did humanity do? We didn't just reject the voice. We silenced it. We put it to death. See, no one, no one cried out glory when Jesus of Nazareth hung bleeding and dying. And what did he get from his own father? Silence, rejection. Why? He was dying in our place, getting the silence and rejection we deserve for our own wickedness and iniquity. Now now we can get the voice of God so that we can get God's presence and voice coming from heaven into our lives. See, the beauty of holiness, church, is Jesus Christ on the cross. The cross is a fulfillment of Psalm 29.2. Once it now brought to life, it shows us the cross does the holiness of God on one hand that Jesus had to die for you. And it shows us the beauty of God. Jesus loved us so much. He was glad to die for us. And when that kind of beauty, 
the beauty of holiness, the beauty of the cross of Jesus doesn't become just useful to you. Then it's become a nice example. But when Jesus becomes beautiful to you for who he is and not just what he's done, when he becomes beautiful for you, to you for that and you worship him for that, now you're doing, you're doing Psalm 29. You're living it. Now your heart becomes open to heaven. Your heart becomes open to hearing the voice, God speaking to you through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through Christian community. You know, most of the time, most of the time when I hear God speaking, since God's speaking to me, I believe it's just because at some point I've opened myself up to him. I said, God, speak to me. You said your sheep would hear your voice. You promised me you could move past all my sheepiness. You could become clear. Would you do that? And I'll come before him, worship, say, God, speak. What do you have to say? Lord, I want to follow. I want to do your will. And sometimes... I get a lot of nothing. Sometimes I get something, but then sometimes the strangest thing will be happening. I'll go through my day in my car along and out of nowhere, God will just come and speak and whisper and touch. Courage, love, correct. Hey. I can't summon God. We can't summon God as if he were on a leash for us, right? But we can cry out glory. Can't cry glory. God, your word matters. It weighs more than us than any other voice. Would you speak to me now through a word, through a song, through a friend, through something? Anyway, God, I want to worship you in the beauty of your holiness that you're not like me, and I love that. Oh, that's how you do this, practically. You just cry, Jesus, glory. That's what Psalm 29 gives you, and really that's what the whole Bible gives you because walking with God is not a formula. It's by faith. It's by faith. So, Church, let's go to him now in faith and ask for that now.